the different flavors, the different things, the different cuisines. I'm really curious, I'm very crafty, so I was like really attracted to the creativity part of it, and then it's edible creativity, who doesn't like it? <laughs> this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Spanish cuisine suits much of Australia's climate, but its influence is not as great as many other cuisines. Still, there have been some, Frank Camora, the Porteño Group, to name a few that have helped shine a spotlight on this vibrant cuisine. There are many Spanish chefs down under, and a new movement to shine a bigger light on the industry is emerging. Ana Cortez Garcia is the head chef of Lee Ho Fook in Melbourne. Ana, how are you? Hello, Hug. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Um, you're a Spanish chef with a proud... Um, very proud of your heritage and cuisine and currently the head chef of Lee Ho Fook. What's it like in your role at the moment with a cuisine so different to your heritage? Uh, it is like the joy of cooking, I, I, I believe. It's like always learning something different and it's not just techniques. It's also flavors, ingredients, and just another culture. And and this always to find like things that connect uh, flavors or remember to my, my heritage on the way that Chinese cook Chinese cooking is is done. Tell us about your role and uh, and Li Ho Fook. Its influence is incredible. Um, what, what's it what's it like there at the moment? Um, so we we are a small team at Li Ho Fook. I'm the head chef there. Uh, we are a team of five four chefs. If we uh, on a regular basis, we do tasting menu only. Uh, we moved to tasting menu through lockdowns to optimize the situation. And at the moment, since I know, I just finally we are open fully, no restrictions, and and yeah, it's going quite well actually, quite quite well. Uh, on a daily basis, it's just basically uh, copy up with the bookings and shortage of stuff and put it together. Well, I want to explore what you are doing um, there at the moment, but take a, take us back to Spain and what was food? What sort of food role did food play in your family growing up? Um, I'm from the countryside. I'm from the south of Spain, Andalusia, um, and I come from a very a tiny family, tiny town, and everything is, was made from from scratch. Mom and grandmas used to cook every meal, uh, homemade. Uh, uh, let me help in the kitchen, obviously. Um, and it's like the, the vegetables were coming for, from the farm of my uncle or the neighbor. Like the eggs were fresh from the neighbor next door that was coming warm still. So it was a, I was really lucky, actually. I was really lucky to, to know what it takes to put food in a plate for an entire family. Tell us about the food of that region. Is there any sort of dishes or feasts that you remember from when you were young? I'm from the interior, so fish is like more like a salt or like cod or sardines and oily fish like that of the family, but mostly it's pork. Pork is the main protein that uh, we used to do back in the days. My family used to do matanzas, uh, their own um, bread pigs. And it was like three days, four days preparation. So I miss it for a little bit because my grandfather got retired a little bit before I was born. But I was lucky, lucky to to join like friends and family in my hometown to to actually 
see, enjoy, and participate on. It's, it's like a weekend, like literally three, four days, like preparing everything, doing all the uh, chorizo, morcilla, uh, butifarra. So it's like you use literally everything, everything. Tell us about when you were younger. Was a career in hospitality something that was always a goal of yours? Uh, not really, not really, because um, <laughs> uh, it was not even a consider a, a job back in the days. We're talking about more than 30 years ago. And in my hometown, all the bars and restaurants, the chefs, they were like my friends' moms. It was like family-run businesses, and it was the same mom that was cooking at home, was cooking then at the, at the bar or at the restaurant. So it was like like family business. Instead of like cooking for a family, cooking for the neighbors. So it was not a concept even. What was the first stepping stone into the industry for you? Uh, literally was playing to, to have the waiters <laughs> when we were in summer sitting down in a terrace. <laughs> so it's like, what's fun? So let's play to be waiters like, because in the kitchen you're going to step in, obviously. And, and yeah, it was like, uh, I was always around food. So for me, it's like, uh, it was a transition more like it clicked the the possibility to make it a career when when a friend joined up school. And I was at the moment deciding what to do like, in the future. Like, I, it was like finishing like high school. So it was the moment that you choose like, the path. And the way that he was talking about what he was creating, uh, what he was learning, he was coming back home uh, on the weekends and uh, helping his, his father on the farm, but then cook something that he was uh, he learned that week at the school. And I was mesmerized. Not only the the different flavors, the different things, the different cuisines. And I was like, I'm really curious. I'm very crafty. So I was like really attracted uh, to the creativity part of it. And then it's edible creativity. Who doesn't like it? <laughs> what did your family think of uh, the idea of you having a career as a chef? Uh, it was a no. <laughs> it was a no. It was not even a conversation. It was a no, no, no. <laughs> no you can go to uni, like, study. My mom wants me to do economics, to, to sit down in a bank <laughs> with aircon in summer, heater in winter. Um, my brother was at the moment at uni starting studying physics. So it was a no, 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 no. You will go to uni. Like We, needed, we didn't have the chance, so we can provide to you to, um, to your brother. So you have to go. So no, <laughs> I don't have to. I don't want to study something that I don't want to be. I don't want to waste my time. And it's the classic parents uh, phrase. You, know, you first study, and then you can do whatever you want. Uh, it was like a couple of years, moving backward forwards, like this conversation. And... It was like, I was 16 at the moment, and I went to school uh, with uh, 18, and they told me, uh, if on the first semester you don't come with good grades, um, you don't you don't go back to try in the second to make it better. I was like, okay. <laughs> Which I did. I did. It's like, when you study something that you like, it is easy. Well, you started with uh, studying front of house management. What, what led to the move into the kitchen? Uh, I wanted always to study culinary, but it is a public school and it's a very high demand from the entire area. And then uh, really on, not only on your grades, it's like if you live close, you have like, more chances to get in the school. If your family is like numerous, like more than three siblings, you get like more chances to, to get in. Which is like, I don't, it doesn't make much sense, the, the selection. But I, I didn't make it uh, on the first like, selection. So, but they told me if you study here, then the year after you're gonna go in straight away because the year after you're gonna have the same situation. I said, okay, still uh, related to hospitality, and it's also, also something 
that is like good to know. So that that that's why I studied first like front of house management uh, for a couple of years, and then I finally got my foot in in the kitchen. What were the really key sort of experiences and venues for you in those early years in the kitchen? I I was like mm, for the first few years like working in the same city that I studied. And at some point after four or five years, it was like I didn't see much progression that I could I could do. Like the the level of cooking of the best restaurants were the best, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to learn more, and and I wanted to to explore like cuisine like deeply, like not only small restaurants. And and then I moved uh, to a big company of hotels. It's called Paradores Nacionales de Turismo. And I worked across the country, which is like focused on local cuisines, local ingredients. Um, the cheese like come from the neighbor around the corner that only make like twenty wheels uh, a month. Uh, fresh cheese, like cures, uh, same same way cure meats. It's like really traditional cooking in a, a fine dining ish uh, setup. And, and yeah, it was like, it re- I really learned a lot about my own gastronomy, not only from my area, because I work from north of the country to the southeast. So it was like really uh, rewarding and continuous learning. You spent a bit of your career in London. What, what sort of impact did that have on you? Oh, when I got there, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is real life. <laughs> uh, the first like, shock was like how busy that city is. And it's like never stop. And you, I, I got there, and the, the first thing that I, that I did was I started um, like an internship at Viajant by Nuno Mendes, the one Michelinia star restaurant, because I wanted to, to see what is the path of, the, of that city in a kitchen. And I stayed there, but then I needed a real job. So I started doing trial. My first trial was like 17 hours because I thought that I would get it paid. <laughs> I didn't get it paid. <laughs> I peeled like five kilos of garlic, seven kilos of onions. So just like they were hanging me there until the end for half a child. It's about three hours peeling onion and garlic. I don't want to go home. It's one in the morning. <laughs> uh, anyway, so then I took my first job, like just, you know, to our foreign, you need a job to make money, and took the first one that I, that I, it was okay the salary and the job as a pastry. Um, it was the worst job of my life actually. It was like it was the really really worst. Like not for the food, it was like the environment. So the the pastry chef like, it was like really aggressive. Um, Call me <laughs> things like you, you dumb, you don't speak English, you don't understand. So I understand most of it. Like I'm lucky that I'm the, I don't understand the rest. But you put your head down, and so no, you need the money. But then, thankfully, I got an offer for a new opening with Nuno Mendes as well, a kitchen firehouse. Uh, I ran off of that kitchen literally when I gave my notice. I literally I just like went to the changing room and say, "Understand? After the way that you had talked to me, I'm leaving." And I got changed and left. And then I started this place. Mm-hmm. Started this place at Chitin Firehouse. Um, and it was like, for me, the really eye-opening of what fine dining on a 300 covers services, like no pay per service. Uh, it is what it takes, a massive team. Like It was like opening from from deciding the menus and the dishes. Like we were like, I was there 
when the team was already only two weeks in the kitchen. Um, it was like really eye-opening, really eye-opening. I loved it. I loved it, the path. I loved it, the environment. I really busy, really tired. But I, need, I, I knew like every single day, every single section inside out because it was like, wow, this, this is amazing. <laughs> Do you have any stories of the experiences and opportunities that working there had for you? Yeah, literally, like after being at Chiltern, I uh, stayed there for almost a year. And then I did a little bit of Japanese to try just once that you're in, you're in London, you can cook everything that you want uh, without leaving the country. So I wanted to experience a little bit of like more Japanese. And then uh, I got a job with Iñaki Hospitality in a new opening. And then my English there was like way better than when I, when I started in London. It was not all the way around. <laughs> And a little within weeks, uh, started as a chef party. Within weeks of like not even opened yet, I, I got a promotion as a junior chef. So it's, uh, it, it was also rewarding seeing that hard work pay off for real, for real, for real. You need to work, obviously, but it was really, really rewarding. And and unfortunately, that place didn't last long um, for things that when regarding the food was more in between investors and and chefs' uh, decisions and agreements, and I need to find another job. <laughs> and and the one that I found it was like the one that I stayed for almost three years. And um, um, I got that job, and a little bit after I got promoted as a head chef. And it was um, the place where I where I had the chance to put on all my knowledge and all my experience from different cuisines on the menu and the creation and everything was made from scratch. The name of the restaurant is actually Scraft. And it was a like really good experience. It was like two kitchens, three floors, three different menus, um, small team as well. So it was like hard and difficult, but nothing is easy in, in, in hospitality. Um, and yeah, it was really, really good. We we, we have our own beehives, a uh, smoke house, uh, cure meat. Uh, we were doing like fermentations, preser preserving everything. We only work with British ingredients. So it was like summer, spring. It was the busiest because then on winter you have only sweet onion and leeks <laughs> and potatoes. So it was a way to to preserve and get ready for for winter. How different was it uh, in your first head chef role compared to being one of the line cooks? Did, did it change the way you approach food and your role in the industry? Uh, yeah, always, always, always. This job is always in, in evolution. And every single place I teach you about uh, the own place itself, the parameters of that that place where the the label of this like, place, but also... When you get in the role of head chef, it teaches you a lot about how to create a team, uh, motivate them, um, and and keep and keep them and make it better and make it better not only yourself. Um, and it's a continuous learning. It's a continuous learning, which is like uh, here in Melbourne, I feel it's you know, the path is slower, even though we are sort of staff now because everybody knows why. Um, it's still like, it's like very small team, so it's like it is easier to to get to know your team like individually, like and then to see how you can get the best as a group. What lured you to Melbourne? Mm. 
my partner. <laughs> we, met, <laughs> we met in London, uh, the last place that I worked as a head chef at Kraft. And she's from here and took a gap year to travel in Europe. And she set her uh, in London and started to work at the cafe uh, of the restaurant that I, that I was there. And yeah, we, we see that the possibilities. It was like, let's go to Spain. Like, uh, I love Spain. So yeah, you love Spain on holidays. <laughs> you don't know what's the salary there. You don't know what is the struggle there. And don't speak Spanish. So it's uh, <laughs> not an option. I also don't want to go back to work. <laughs> and yeah, like, the offer to come to Australia came on the table. And I was like, oh, well, um, I never thought even to come over here. Never was in my mind to to give it a go, even for holidays, it's so far. It's not on the other side of the world, it's also in the other hemisphere. So it was never uh, as an option, but look, I took it. <laughs> and here we are three years later. London was a real eye-opener for you. What was it like coming to Australia? What did you think of the culinary landscape when you arrived? Ooh, the, the diversity that is here, um, and how close to the heritage, the real flavors is something that really caught my attention. Is um, come from London, like have it in Chinese cuisine, I have it in Vietnamese, uh, but then I had come to Australia to Melbourne, and and the flavors like oh, this is better. <laughs> this is better. It's like more flavorful. It's like more. It's not like fusion or or halfway through. It's you know this is what it is. And and that was the thing that is you know, it really really caught my my attention since the first time that I came here. During your time here, you joined the first Spanish Gastronomic Association in Australia. Tell us a bit about that and your role and what, what is the goal? So um, during the first year of lockdown, it was like uh, actually funded, even though it was a massive networking of like mostly chefs in Australia. Uh, uh, it was like it happened uh, two years ago. And I'm the president of the association. And we have increased even the, the 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 amount of members from I think that when we started we were like barely twenty two years ago and now we are like almost sixty if if we haven't passed it yet. Um, we have done some events mostly online, like like because we are all over the country, so it's like really difficult to do something together physically. Uh, internet is the best uh, tool. But even though like that, we did like one year ago here in Melbourne, a few masterclass, Frank Amora participated doing Pescaito Frito, the fried fry fish Andalusian style. I did another one with like, with canned food, like how to like, make it like, a little bit more large or, or fun. Um, we, we basically like want to promote, not like tell that people are doing it wrong. We are not here... Uh, punkies of Spanish cuisines are no, no, no. You, you cannot put chorizo in your paella. So yeah, you can put it, but don't call it traditional. <laughs> don't call it. You're gonna eat it. You know, so you're gonna eat your food. You you know better than anybody what you like. <laughs> so, but this is the thing that we we feel the necessity of this association because of the lack of connection of our traditional cuisine. And, and we are trying to use always all the ingredients available uh, that you can import that are key ingredients to our culture. It's not just the flavor, it's like why we preserve like fish this way and not that way, why we can it, why we don't dry, why we, or why we do different ways. We jamon, same, but then you know, we, 
we we are showcasing this to uh, the Australian public. So we we use as much as we can like local ingredients. Like work with uh, close uh, uh, farmers that they are doing really good things in in here. So it's it's not a whose best. It's kind of it's like introducing a part of our culture and our, our backgrounds or what we eat at home. Actually, even when we are here, just to share because. Um, that's the beauty of like of Melbourne and Australia, the the diversity of cuisines. Spanish cuisine is different from region to region through Spain. Give us an idea of, of Spanish cuisine and and the depth and breadth of it. So in, it's like so different that within twenty thirty kilometers, like things are prepared different. Uh, the Maare is like more like pork and lamb. Uh, you go a little bit more up north, and it's like beef and and chips. Um, it is really particular. Our our weather allows us to to have like like microclimates that grows different vegetables. Like um, uh, the sea, we had the the ocean, we had the Mediterranean Sea. So even like what we fish, like what we grow, uh, is really different from one area to another. And then the influences, like in the south, um, you will have a lot of like um, uh, Arab influences, a lot of spices, a lot of vinegar pickle, like scabete uh, comes from from them, like from that, from the from the recipes. Uh, uh, in traditional cooking in in Andalusian, uh, there is recipes with ginger, like turmeric, uh, cardamom, black cardamom. That nowadays they have been. A loss a, because changing the palate or anything, but then as you go up north, so it's like more based into um, it's colder, so it's a bit more like heavy, more meaty dishes. Uh, it's like it's really different, like over 50 kilometers radius. Tell us a bit about Eat Spanish. What, what do you hope to achieve, and what have you got? on the agenda for the coming year? Uh, on the agenda for the next year, for this year, um, it is, uh, we are organizing a paella festival in Perth that because of the situation right now, uh, it's been postponed the date. It was like meant to happen like two weeks ago. And, and it's like one of those like uh, occasions where we can cook what are traditional rices and paellas and, just like introduce it to the public and give them a, a taste of uh, what it should be, if you call it this way or that way. Um, then our our purpose is that is that our little by little you know, introduce our our gastronomy and for people to be familiar with is just a it really deserves um, uh, some recognition. Uh, since like it's a lot of Spaniards living in 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 Australia. You're working with uh, Victor Leong, who's become a renowned chef in Australia. Uh, tell us about the working relationship and what's it what it's like in the kitchens at Lehofuk. Yeah, Victor is like uh, he's the secret chef. Um, so the way that we work together is like when we change the menu, which thankfully is like quite often, is like fun. Uh, we just talk about what we want to cook. Like we are, we want we talk how we want to approach a, a dish or a protein or a vegetable. It's just not like um, 
his life, his decision, my decision. Because I think that it has been evolutive in that way that we talk about what we want to do. And obviously when he says, like, I want to do this, oh, he's the boss, he pays my salary. Joseph, is a Joseph, very clear. But yeah, it's like, it is fun. He's really, really knowledgeable. And it's also the the perspective that it's not only food, it's a, it's a small business, it's a small team. And it, it, it brings you a platform to see further than us, than the kitchen, like how customers will eat the dish, how uh, the profile of public that we have, and what is the Liho food like, label, like what is the parameters, and from that we, we we just work talking, we just like communicate, like talk about what we want to do, like plan ahead, and yeah, it's really really fun. The majority of your time in Australia has been during this strange pandemic sort of period in our lives. What sort of positives have come from this experience for you? Uh, firstly, like slow down a little bit after Europe, like frenetic, like 80, 90 hours a week uh, to come here and slow down. It, it was like in the beginning stressful. So I don't want to stop type of thing. But then so I got to I just work a few hours a week and spend time with my partner, like have dinner together every night, uh, have lunches, say uh, weekends, like get the dogs, go for a walk in the neighborhood, like not further down the five, five case, but um, just have a little bit of a life, actually. Um, hospitality doesn't allow you much to, to have a work-life balance and I got a taste. <laughs> I know you're the head chef at uh, Leho Fook at the moment, but um, do you have plans to sort of do your own thing exploring Spanish cuisine? Uh, I have been almost two decades on, in, in the kitchen, so I'm open to everything. At the moment, I'm happy with what I'm doing at Leho Fook, with what we are achieving, but um at the same time, I'm cooking um, food that it doesn't represent everything that I have learned or I would like to, to share. So it, it is like you're in, in limbo. What should I do? Like, shall I proceed to do my own thing or shall I proceed like, to do this thing that which is also really good? But, but yeah, it is always like that thing. Every now and again, I'm... I did like last year a pop up of Andalusian cuisine here in Melbourne, um, but it is the limbo situations and all salary or sal not salary or not. But at the moment, it's, I'm happy. I'm enjoying what what we are doing. We work with very good ingredients, uh, very good Australian products. So it is like uh, reconforting. With. Uh the Spanish Gastronomic Association and Eat Spanish and the momentum that you've got there. What, what do you hope people um, gain from the experiences that you're bringing to the table? Um, for literally, like, we hope that people give it a go to our recipes. Um, we, <clears throat> we want to don't do like, recipes or, or dictate what Spanish cuisine is for hospitality. We want, we want to get close to the, to the people that cook at home a folk, they cook at home a pasta, they pizza. So why not a tortilla de patatas or why not um, a cocido, which is a chickpea, say soup. 
we want to get close to to people that goes to the market to buy their own ingredients that like cook at home. So I'll give it a go, like test it, like find the key ingredients in this shop, in that shop. Uh, this is best because of this. And so it's going to bring the truthful flavors and and the the joy of like cook your own food, good ingredients and share with your family, which is like our culture, literally. What do you love about what you do? What do I love? Like the continuous learning, the the challenge, the how in a day can happen like several things. Like from seven in the morning, you are receiving message from the supplier that I don't have this available. I cannot deliver it to you today. And then like someone calling sick or happen something in the kitchen. But then you open for service and customers sit down and they don't know anything about that and they have a great time. And so it's like how you control day after day, minute after minute, uh, that to happen. The customers are paying money for have a great time and, and give you the, the opportunity to cook for them. Uh, they, they really have a great time. Well, Anna, it's amazing what you're doing and look forward to seeing what you do with Eat Spanish over the coming years. Um, loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.